We are starting a new book today. We are in the book of Titus as we continue and we finish that second Timothy. We're moving right into Titus and I just hope you were able to read ahead a little bit. Uh, and we're just going to take the first nine verses today. It's a lot compact into these nine verses. So uh, just hang on and uh, we'll get through these uh, as, as the Lord leads us by his spirit. Uh, one thing, Vacation Bible School. We are so excited about this summer because of a few things that are going to be taking place. One is we're going to have Vacation Bible School. It will be on 31 July. It's just going to be for a half a day from 9 to 12, followed by family uh, picnic barbecue. So we'll bring the family together. Uh, and then again in August, toward the end of August, we'll be doing our annual picnic, and that will be here on this property as well. Again, this is our first season here in this building. So there are a lot of things that we're able to now do here that we couldn't do at the other location, and we will have our um, annual baptism as well in that August barbecue. So put that in and look for the flyers, uh, color-coded flyers to pop up there so you can put that on your schedule. But if you're interested in helping Christine and Chad, the children's ministry, with Vacation Bible School for on the 31 July from 9 to 12, and you want to help with the, put the picnic together and stuff, just let them know or let one of us know, and we'll be happy to make sure you're a part of all of that type of planning. Uh, and the kids are actually a part of the, going to be building the props and everything. It's just they're going to be part of serving in that capacity. So we're excited for the kids uh, this season. So with that said, let us pray. Father, we again thank you for allowing us to gather here in your name. Again, Holy Spirit, ask you, it's only by your power of your spirit moving in our hearts and the ears and the hearts of the people. Help us to have ears to hear, hearts to receive what you have for us today as we open up and start a new book here, the, the epistle of Paul the Apostle to Titus. And we're just so excited about what you have for us this morning through your word. Speak to us loudly, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, and amen. Hey, appointing of leaders. Titus, an incredible, incredible letter that Paul, the Apostle, wrote to this young man named Titus. So we know in the book of Titus, we see that the author is Paul. It's very clear to us in verse 1 of chapter 1, right up front. No one argues of who wrote this letter. We know who this letter was written to, a young pastor named Titus, who Paul uh, raised up in the ministry and discipled him up in the ministry to do the work of the ministry of God. And as we take a look at that, we also see that this book was written somewhere between A.D. 62 and 65. That was between Paul's two wonderful hotel stays in the uh, Romata, Roma prisons there. And between those moments, God used him to write this letter to Titus. Just like he had, God had, uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit, gave the words to Paul to write to young Timothy. That's where we studied First and Second Timothy. We see here he writes to this young man named Titus, who is going to be doing a work of God there on the island of Crete. Now, Paul's letter to Titus was a to a young man. He was a young Greek young man, a, a, uh, a Gentile convert, a Gentile believer here. We see that in Galatians chapter 2 verse 3 and certainly want you to go back and listen to the teachings in Galatians when we covered that. But he became one of Paul's many travelers. We see that again in chapter 2 of Galatians. And Titus had also faithfully served the troubled church in Corinth. We see that in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and chapter 8. We see that as well where he, God used this young man Titus to minister to that troubling church. Now sometime after they left Timothy behind in Ephesus... To do a work there, and again we just finished studying there, Paul and Titus traveled to and ministered there at the island of Crete. Crete is an island in a Mediterranean about 135 miles long. 
and about 30 miles wide in a very mountainous area, but many, many people in many small cities. As we will see, the inhabitants of Crete was a very difficult, problematic type people who lived on that island. And not to say all islanding type people are difficult to work with, but you're a little constrained in that little mileage. Maybe it could cause some challenges. But in fact, it's interesting that we see historically that the Philistines came from this island of Crete. These are the Philistines, yes, we read in the scriptures, that messed with God's people, the Israelites, for so many years. And this is where they come from, and they hassled, obviously, the people. And why was it made, why were the people so challenging? It's because their culture and their community, their island, worshipped Greek mythology. This is where we see where Zeus was born, there on Mount Ida, as according to tradition. And so when you're having a culture that is steeped into Greek mythology and all of these gods like Zeus, you can see the rippling effect that would have on generation upon generation, especially being an island. So it's all within this one small community, not many visitors coming and going. It wasn't as easy as a, to fly onto the island for a stay. You had to take the boat. And these were troubling times or difficult times. It depends on the weather and the seasons if you can come to and fro on that island. But but Paul was there in Crete for a very short period of time, we see in the scripture. And while he had to go on there to minister to the believers there on Crete... It's interesting to think that today is we, there's a celebration of a holy day of Pentecost. Now, Pentecost was significant because for this island, how did the believers get to Pentecost before Paul and Titus showed up? Why would Paul and Titus go to an island like Crete to minister to people who are believers in Jesus Christ? How did that happen? Well, we know in the scriptures on Pentecost... There were people who came from the island of Crete who heard their language when they spoke in tongues at that moment. And they heard their language in Crete and those became believers and they went back to where? Back to the island of Crete. And that is where the believers started sharing the gospel and there was the new work that was started. The word got out, and of course, Paul, being sent by God, a messenger of God, to go to that island to minister to them and to encourage them in their new walk of faith, and he brought many with them. They dropped uh, Timothy off at Ephesus, and Titus continued to go to Crete. But then Paul, for some reason, had to leave from Crete on a very short stay, But he left the man Titus to minister to the people in that area. Now with that said, there becomes very clear how important this role is for Pastor Titus to do the work that God has called him to do. And it was a very important work as we will see today. Now, the purpose of, the, of Titus is basically a church operations manual. It's written to instruct and encourage Titus who to then design to teach godly men to do the work of the ministry to help in the church and the forming of that church. And he needed to understand the basic elements of church order and to be a witness for God in the community there in Crete. Now, as we take a look at this, it's very important that there's certain elements or foundational elements that are established in, to, help, to have a healthy church in a community. And one of those elements is to establish faithfulness in leadership, and the leadership is faithfully teaching sound doctrine. Very critical. It's not about just 
creating a building and making it look fancy and nice and, and it's the Taj Mahal so that people walk in and are more enamored by the building than enamored by God himself. So we don't, this is, you know, the church building is just a building that God has provided and we're very thankful, are we not? Coming from where we were in a house then to a, the Ramada Inn Hotel. And then from the Ramada to a place we built out on the other side of the water. And then the Lord said it's time to cross the, the river into the promised land that we have now that God has provided this building last year. Praise the Lord. Amen. We're thankful for this place. Why? Because we can gather together in his name under this roof. We, we can gather together under a tent if the city would let us. If the weather would cooperate. You know what I'm saying? Many of our brothers and sisters, they hide in dark places because it's not safe for them to gather together in their name. But they do it. They still do it. But we're thankful by God's grace that we're able to do that. To gather here. But one of the things is, is that many leaders ask in a church, we need more men of faith in the church. More men of faith to help us in the church, to grow the church. And I say yes and amen. I want more men of faith. Men of faith who really love Jesus and want to serve him. But more important than that, I want faithful men of faith. I want faithful men of faith. It's not one thing to have men of faith. I could have thousands of men of faith here, but if they're not faithful men, what, what happens? How, is that, how are they going to benefit God's work and doing and ministering to the people? I'm looking for faithful men of faith. And that is what Paul will tell Titus. And we'll, we're going to go through the qualifications of what it means to be a leader within the church. More specifically, an elder in the church. And we're going to cover that this morning. The book of Titus reminds us that God is a God of order and not a God of chaos. The people, his people should be able to come and see there's order, there's decency, there's right, it's good. It's not this free-for-all, just chaos going everywhere and you wonder what's happening and what they're on. But of order, not of chaos. God, Jesus built and continues to build his church based on his historical act of grace on the cross of Calvary. And our response to that grace is to love him and to understand and receive his love and his mercy and his grace to then obey him in what he's directing us to do for him. And it's good. And it's right. And it's, it is just lovely. When you see we're obedient children to our Heavenly Father. Now, response begins with church leaders. The church is not going to be order if the leadership of that church is not of order. And so it's very clear that Paul needed to send and leave Titus there because when they got to the island of Crete, they found there was chaos going on because there was nothing, the elements of good, faithful leadership put in, appointed in positions of leadership to help lead the people. To teach the people God's word. To teach them what it means to be a good witness to those who are unbelievers and, and to the community. They had to learn these things. And that is why he was leaving Titus there for this purpose. Now Paul called for church leaders, elders, bishops, pastors. It's an, a term that's all the same. It's all the same. So don't get confused that somehow you're a bishop. You're, you're something more than a, the pastor. And, and a pastor is more than something than the elder. No, they're the same purpose. Same. God uses them as a, 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 a vessel, as a servant, as a slave to minister to God's people. That's what it is. So anyone who's aspiring to be a bishop or a pastor or an elder understand you're saying I'm giving my life over to be a slave a servant to others now when you put it that way not many people looked for that position now do they now if you tell them it's somehow you become hierarchy and and you get big money and big positions and your own personal parking spot you know you're not at the right church 
<laughs> because that is not how I park and all of any leaders are going to park in the back, the farthest of a way. Why? Because we want God's people to be closer to the front door. Now, so when we see this mindset that Paul is going to teach Titus here, we, this does not mean that the leaders are perfection. You don't become a leader when you're perfect. That's not what it means here. So please don't look at me and look at any other leader and say they must. They're not perfect. Uh, hello. <laughs> no, we're not. We're growing by God's grace as well. We just have more responsibility, and but we're going to be held more accountable by God. So don't be rushing into the position that God's called us to do. But it doesn't mean perfection here. We're looking for faithful men of faith. It doesn't mean living your life so nothing... I mean, it's, it's, it, I mean let me rephrase it. it. It's living a life, not a perfection, but living a life as a leader that nothing sticks to you that people can blame you for doing things that go against the word of God. That's what it means to be a leader in the church. People will absolutely throw accusations that are absolutely false. That's how the enemy works. But it will not stick because people see the character, the godly characteristic of that man and say, I don't believe it. I've watched his life that is not speaking of him. That's what it means to be a leader. And this order in the church we will see in the book of Titus is in three categories. We're going to see the order of the church begins with leadership, chapter 1. We are then going to see that the order of the church it then moves to discipleship, chapter 2. And lastly, we will see stewardship in chapter 3 of Titus. And today we'll start with leadership and we'll take the very first part, appointing of leaders in the church, verses 1 through 9. And next week, Lord willing, unless the Lord comes back, <laughs> I will be here and we will see the leadership addressing false teachers and we'll finish chapter one, chapter 1 next week. So here we go. Titus chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a bondservant of God and apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the knowledgement of the truth which accords with godliness. So right up front, we see the fact that Paul is the author here. He's writing, and he starts a traditional letter, tells you who's writing it, tells you who he's writing it to, and his purpose, and the emphasis. It's all classical um, Paul writings here, because that's how they wrote letters. We don't, to us, you know, get to the point, and at the end of the letter, you figure out who wrote it, and who was it for. I mean, no, I love the fact that right up front, you know exactly what the purpose of this letter is, and who it's for. And it wasn't for just Titus, but it was for Titus and the church fellowship who he was write, reading this letter out to, just like we are today. It's God's word. The Holy Spirit wants us to read this letter to you and I as a church body, especially to me as a pastor, because this is one of the pastoral epistles that Paul wrote. And so this speaks to me all week long. So it's going to be speaking to me for the next several weeks uh, because it, it tests me and challenges me and shows me the things that I need to be in line with the scriptures so it, to make sure the church is healthy as well. But it teaches you so that you can also understand how church government or church leadership is to work within the church and the qualifications as we will see today to be one of those leaders. We also see in Titus 1.5 here in a minute, we will learn that Paul and Titus work together in Crete, spreading the gospel and establishing the, scene, the churches there and had to stay there when Paul left because there was so much work that needs to be done. We will also see in Titus chapter 3 verse 13 that there was other additional men that were with them and we see two more uh, highlighted there in Titus 3.13. Zenos uh, and Apollos were also there on their way to Crete and because of this, that is why Paul gives them this letter to be the one delivering it to him, Titus, there uh, on Crete. This letter was written to Titus, but it was also, of course, written to the Christians of the island and the Christians for us today as well. 
Now, as we take a look at this, we're going to see that Paul says in verse 2, in hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before, uh, before time began. So we see here that he, the bondservant, bondservant means willing slave. Remember, there was a category where you could be a slave in those days, where you were forced to serve, and then you served a certain period of time. You were then set free, but then you as a slave can now choose to become a bondservant for that master and willingly continue to serve in that business or in that home or whatever job that you had serving in that capacity. And you were a willing. So Paul is saying, I'm a willing bondservant. I'm willing to do whatever God's called me to do. And I'm willing to do where, wherever it may be, whatever he wants me to do. And it could be in good conditions or it could be bad conditions. And Paul hit them all, did he not? But he was also an apostle, which means he was called specifically by Jesus Christ himself to do and become a messenger of God. And he, of course, was the last of the apostles um, to, uh, that Jesus called to be an apostle, we see. So we see that he's a messenger of God, and he's going out there, and he's communicating, and he's writing this letter by the power of the Holy Spirit to give to Titus again for us to see uh, and to learn as well. But in that hope, he's reminding Titus, my hope continues to be on eternal life, which, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. So he wanted to, before he get into the details with Titus, to bring him back to the most important point. And for you and I today, keep your eyes on eternity. Again, this is temporary. Our eternity, our eternity is with God. We know this because he cannot lie and he said in the scriptures that he's coming back for you and I. Are you ready for your Savior to come back in a twinkling of an eye or if it's at the end of your life and he says, and now I want you to bring you home. Either way, are you ready? Are you? Oh, I hope you are. But if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you're right now in your mind saying, I don't know what that man is saying. <laughs> but let me tell you, by the time we're done with this message today, I want you to know who Jesus Christ is. You worshipped him. You heard him sing, uh, people singing to him. Now I want you to see who he is, the Savior of the world, who died on the cross for your sins. And he's asking you to open up your heart to him as he knocks at the door of your heart right now. Just open up and let him come into your life and you can be saved and have eternal life. And then it would apply to you. You would have a hope and a promise for the rest of your life that you have eternal life and God cannot lie. It will happen regardless of how we feel some days. It's true. And you can bet your life on it. Amen? I love it. Eternal life, a life of eternal God living within us. Because when you're born again, the eternal God, the Holy Spirit comes in and lives inside you, you personally, ministering, helping you, encouraging you, correcting you, changing you, everything it needs for a godly life, a faithful godly life. And the Holy Spirit will do that work in you. Let the Spirit of God do that work and he will come <clears throat> which God cannot lie, as we say, which in, gives us such encouragement as we continue to read this, that this is God's truth that you can hold on to regardless of what the culture is saying, what the denominations or any other church systems are saying. It doesn't matter what they say. It only matters what God says. And that's why we follow and we study the word the way we do. Verse 3, but has in due time manifested his word through preaching. <laughs> you know people don't want to hear preaching these days? That means you're going against the word of God, right? I, that's what encourages me. Oh, I can't wait to preach again. Why am I so excited about this? When I read scriptures like this as a pastor, like Titus, 
Keep going, man. Keep preaching to the people that God's true. Don't preach me. I don't preach nothing else. You hear me week after week teaching you the word of God. That's what I do. And I love it. Why? Because it's truth. God cannot lie. And I'm just teaching you what God's truth says. But he says right here, in, but in Timothy, I mean uh, Titus, but it has in due time manifested his word through preaching which was committed to me according to the commandment of God our Savior. Our Savior gave me, God himself, God the Father gave me a commitment to teach the word of God and I am absolutely going to do it regardless of how I feel. I'm going to do it as long as he got me the strength and the voice and the ability. I am going to do what God's committed to me to do. And I need to be a faithful man of faith and continue to do what he's called me to do. And that's what I want to do. And that's what he's telling uh, Titus to do. You must do this because God has manifested. He has made evident clearly in my life that this is what we're to do. And the eternal hope of salvation is preached. You must preach eternal salvation. You must preach the gospel. You must preach there is a heaven and there's a hell. You must preach the fact that you, apart from God, you can, you're going to hell. You must give your life to Jesus to have that eternal hope, a promise to be with God for eternity. You must preach these things, Titus. Pastor Corey, you must teach these things to your people. You must tell them about the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses their life from all of their sins. To be as white as snow. Not that we want snow right now, but I love this winter season to be reminded of that. But Titus, you must, must preach the good news. Paul knew the work of preaching was entrusted to him. But not only to him, it's, it's, preaching is, is committed to all of us as believers. Once you're saved, you should be sharing the good news, preaching to those in your family first. And then your extended family, and your neighbors, and friends, and co-workers. This is very important that you understand you too are to preach the good news, the gospel, that you have eternal life. You can have eternal life. You have a hope. In verse 4, to Titus, a true son in our common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. So he's saying to Titus, he's also putting it in terms to all of those who are reading. I'm writing this letter to Titus, and Titus is now reading it to the congregation. He's a true son in the faith. We see very good evidence that Paul led Titus to Christ as this Greek little boy, growing up, young man, and he hears the good news, the gospel that Jesus Christ can save you from your sins. He gets saved, and then he has this desire and commitment to follow this man and be discipled up by Paul and to do the work of the ministry. What incredible calling on this young man's life. Only by God's grace, only by God's mercy, only by God's peace from God the Father. And notice at the end of verse 4, for those of you look, always looking for the Trinity about who saves, Yes, the previous verse was God the, the Father who saves. And then we see here at the end of verse 4, the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, saves. The work of the Trinity. Because the Holy Spirit dwells within you. How beautiful in these two verses the Trinity brought to light. But Titus is a very significant here. Because here's a young man getting saved and following this man, Paul, who was just out there for God. And he just, it's interesting because you're always looking, because if he's with Paul, we should have seen him in Acts. But we don't see him mention his name at all in Acts. We see it clearly mentioned, Titus, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 8, or chapter 8 and chapter 12. So obviously he was with Paul in his adventures. We see the fact that he was sent to Corinth. 
We see the fact that he was significant in raising the money to, um, in the Gentile world to take it back to Jerusalem, to, uh, to the believers in, in Jerusalem who were suffering and, and, and hungry and starved because the persecution was coming against him so tremendously. Even though we don't read much or anything about Titus and Acts, we still know something of his character and personality Like Paul, he was totally committed to Jesus Christ. That's what's important. Titus was a true son in our common faith. We see that just written here in verse 4. Paul is saying he is a son in the faith. We we believe in this exact same faith. We're doing the same purpose. We're following the same Savior. We also see that Titus was a genuine brother to the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 13. We know in the scriptures that Titus was a partner and a fellow wor- uh, worker with Paul. We see that in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 23. We also see the fact that Titus walked in the same spirit as Paul, 2 Corinthians 12, 18. We also see that Titus walked with Paul in the same steps or the same manner of life. Titus understood this man, this older man. Paul was a godly man. He wanted his life to be one that looked like Paul's life. Why? Because he knew Paul was following Jesus and he wanted to be like Jesus, and he could see it played out in real time in this, life's, this man's life um, named Paul. But we also see Paul could be a pattern to other believers, and we'll see that in Titus chapter 2, verse 7. But there is a warning in all of this good news so far. There is a warning to leaders in the church. We see it in Amos. We see in Amos, Amos chapter 3, verse 3, can two walk together unless they are agreed? So in a church, the leadership must be on common ground. They must be, be following the scriptures and be on common ground when it comes to faith. You can't have a pastor here having this certain understanding of the scriptures and moving and then have someone else go completely against that teaching and go to completely different radical kinds of teaching from the scripture. If that happens, what will happen to the church body? Call it a split. The reasons why splits happen is because the people and the leadership Cause a problem in the church by not being on common ground based on the scriptures and following God's way. You should never split over the color of the paint and what you paint a church. I could care less about the paint then. Don't paint it if that's going to cause division. Don't do it over the color of the carpet. Don't do it any over anything because that is, has insignificant compared to the word of God. That you must be at common ground. And anyone who's a leader who goes against that, they should not be in leadership, period. They got to be gone. Why? Because for the sake of the people, there's got to be commonality in the leadership. That's why Paul is saying is so important. Titus and I are, are connected at the hips, guys. So now as Titus teaches you, you need to be like that. You must be connected to a hip with Titus and be like-minded and in agreement to continue to serve God's people. And if you notice in the scriptures, as you study through the whole scriptures, you'll notice that Paul's reading, all of his teachings, you'll notice normally he says grace and peace from God. But in his epistles, that are pastoral epistles, he adds one word, and that is mercy. Why? Because he knows his son in the faith, Titus and Timothy and others, need God's mercy to be a leader within the church. There is no other way to be a leader but relying upon God's mercies that are new every morning. Then we see in verse 5, for this reason... 
Okay, he set it all up for us. Now for this reason is why I'm about to tell you. So listen up. For this reason, I left you in Crete. <laughs> when I first read that, I was like, can you picture Titus going, what happened to Paul? Why did he leave me here on this island? Why did he leave the island? Is there something like a tsunami coming? I'm not familiar with. I love this letter. He says, for this reason, Titus, I left you in Crete that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. Titus, something's come up. Dude, I love you, bro. I love you, son. I know God is with you. <laughs> I need you to set up. I need to put things in order, things of chaos on this island, put some order here at the churches, and find, as we will see, the qualifications of godly, faithful men of faith Put them in positions of eldership, leadership in the church to help that churches to grow and to stay in order. And I have to leave. <laughs> I've got to leave. It's a short stay. I wish I could be here. But you continue to do the work. I know God's going to work through your life to do it. Woo! Can you imagine Titus? The pressure of that young man having to take that responsibility on the island. But we see here, Paul makes it clear to him. I need you, Titus, to build a stable churches, churches that are matured in the faith. I need you to find qualified pastors for the, for the, from the people to be able to put in place for them to identify and to train capable leaders to do or appointing of leaders in the church to oversee the Christians here in the island of Crete. And I've left you to do it. We see that the same wording Paul used in 2 Timothy 4.13 and 2 Timothy 4.20 when he spoke of a cloak and the associate uh, carpus that he left temporarily left behind there. It's the same Greek word there that says, I need to leave you here to take care of the business at hand. And he was to do two things, right? Set and order the things that are lacking. If you remember in 1st 2nd Timothy, he never said those words to Timothy to the church. You guys are lacking here. And Timothy, you got to figure out where it's missing here. There's no leadership. Got to put things in order. He didn't say anything like that to Timothy in his letters. But here to Titus, to the, to the, to the believers there in Crete, he needed to let them know there's, there's things lacking and, and, and Titus is commissioned, is, is called to do that and so that the people and the believers on that island would have expectations of why Titus is now been put in charge. Why? How did he get put in charge? Because Apostle Paul, who had the authority, gave t uh, Titus the authority to do this work. Now the phrase here, set in order the things that are lacking, is a medical term in the Greek. It's a term that applies to having a crooked limb. Things are not lined up properly. The leg is bent. Arm is bent. Something's broke. Something's not right. And so he is there to Fix it. Orthopedic is it. Orthopedics is where we get our orthopedist word from. Set the bone properly so it will grow properly. And if it's set properly, growing properly, it will then what? Function properly. Are you getting me? Leadership. Find good, faithful, godly men who are wanting to be slaves to serve the people in the congregation. That they're not about them, it's about the people. And go in there and get it all set up and get a good qualifying men to set in those positions of leadership. Straighten that out, Titus. And when you do that, it's going to then grow and heal properly in that church's and then those will function properly as churches for the growth and maturity of the people. The reason why people don't grow in a church is because the leaders are not teaching the word of God. They're not helping the people, as we will see, that Titus is now going to teach his leaders 
and I continue to teach here at this church the importance of good, solid leadership in the church. And we'll hold that conversation because I got a lot more to cover here and it's time is going by. So he's going to appoint elders in every city we see to help them to mature as necessary to, to grow and mature in those positions. Now, as we take a look at about appointing elders, Paul delegated a lot of authority to Titus to make this happen. And these elders were not chosen by popular vote, we will see. Everyone raise your hand. Let's have a committee to figure out who's going to be the leaders of the church. That's not biblical. So I don't mean to step on any toes here. I'm just telling you what the Word of God says. You can work that through with the Holy Spirit. It's going to correct you. Because I know many churches and many people have come here where there's always by committees and by groups. And No, that's not how the scripture I see here. Paul said to Titus, who is now the senior pastor in, the, in those areas, to set leaders in place and their certain qualifications. Don't do it by popular vote. You're not choosing them from their own self-promotion. Don't look for those who say, me, 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 please, please, I want to be a leader. No, that's not the qualification. Look at my resume. I know my resume is much better than anybody else in here because I went to theology school. That doesn't qualify you to be a leader. I don't care how much degrees and how many initials after your name. It doesn't qualify you to be a leader of God in God's church. I know that might have hurt. I know that was for someone or some people here. <laughs> God will comfort you. It's okay. Titus' job is to look for men of the kind of character Paul would describe We'll see here in verses 6 through 9 that God has very specific qualifications for God's leaders in a church. They are not chosen by random. They're not chosen because they volunteer the most. They're not chosen because they aspire to the positions. They're not chosen because they're natural leaders. He's a CEO of a company. Of course he should be a leader of the church. That doesn't qualify you to be a a leader within the church. Matter of fact, it probably disqualifies you. Leaders should be chosen because they match the qualifications listed in here. And it is fine if a man thinks he is called. The question is, just because you think you're called to be a leader in the church doesn't mean you qualify to be a leader in the church. I know that hurts someone. Might have challenged you on a few, but it's true. Remember, the qualifications for leadership is the following passage having nothing to do with even giftedness. Going to seminary does not make one qualified for spiritual leadership. Just because you're a good, entertaining orator, a communicator, and everyone loves you, and you're the joke, and you can make everyone laugh, does not make you a spiritual leader within the church. Natural or spiritual gifts does not, is not part of the qualifications as a spiritual leader in the church. Not the amount of money you give to the church makes you automatically qualified to be in a leadership position to make the decisions. That's not the part of the qualifications you will see. What qualifies a man for spiritual leadership is godly character. And godly character established according to the clear criteria that Paul is listing here. It's not a rigid list. We know in 1 Timothy, we see additional scriptures in Timothy chapter 3, of course, in verses 2 through 7, on the qualifications of leaders, not only uh, elders, but also deacons. Here in the cities of Crete, these individuals, you'll notice, are not qualifications for deacons. What was needed, what seems to be lacking, was spiritual leadership and the elders was what was being addressed by Paul. That brings me to a conclusion, and as I study this, is that these elders were both 
qualifying as deacons and elders. They were doing everything what was required within the ministry. It wasn't, I didn't do that because I'm not a deacon, or I'm not doing that because I'm an elder. That is not how leaders should be thinking. You just look and see what needs to be taken care of for the people and take care of it. And God will give you and equip you to do that work. There's some priorities more than others. And as God raises more leaders up, then you're able to not do that because that's what they can do for the, for the people. And then you're not having to do that anymore. Because God has raised more people up to do that work. But we see here in verse 6, if a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of deception or, or dis, dissipation or insubordination. For a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, for hospi- hospi- but hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled. So when we take a look at this, we know in 1 Timothy chapter 3, we saw 15 qualifications there. Here we see 17 qualifications, and there's a lot of overlapping between those two passages, but they're the same qualities. It's not all inclusive, but important for that is what needed to be said by the Holy Spirit to Timothy and to Titus for to find good quality uh, leaders for God's people. And we're going to go through these so there's no question in your mind. If a man is blameless, that means he has a good reputation. Not only in the church, but outside the church. In his family. In his neighborhood. There should be a consistency. This man is the same. It doesn't matter what environment that he is in. He is the same man that is a faithful reputation of a godly man. You should not be one way at church and then at work are completely different and in your home you're even more different. It should not be. A godly character is a godly character. You don't put on different facades as a leader. You don't sit there and say, I'm going into church so I will put on my, my good reputation facade. My holier-than-thou position. And then when I go to my home, I should be free to be whoever I am. I'm going to be a tyrant, a dictator, and all that. See, that should not be. And at work, you're, you're just, just beating people over because you happen to be the boss. Godly character sticks with you in all environments. That is a key thing. That means you're faithful in all of your life. Key important quality as a church leader. Husband of one wife. That means he is a faithful to marriage. He's committed to the marriage. He's faithful to the marriage. That doesn't mean you have to be married to be an elder. If that's true, then Jesus would not have been <laughs> the pastor. Or in, 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 and even Paul would not have been able to keep the leadership position. Because he was not, it doesn't show he was married either. So it, it, you don't have to be married to be an elder in the church. But you must be faithful to the marriage if you're married. Now let me give you a little more specifics here. A leader may never be married and still be meet the qualifications to be an elder of the church. You could have been married and the wife passed, went home to be with the Lord before you, does not disqualify you to continue to be or to be an elder in a church. You could have had a biblically-based divorce and still meet the qualifications to be an elder within the church as long as it was a biblically-based divorce. The idea is that the leader has his focus committed upon the one woman that he is married to legally now. That is the qualification. 
But not only is he legally married, but he's faithful to that marriage. The next qualification is if they have children, they're having faithful children. That means they have believing children. That means they have children who are of age that are at an age of accountability and they live under their roof. They have to be believing children who are committed to God and committed to going to church and serving God. That is a qualification. If you're a, a, you meet the qualifications, but when it comes to your children, they are insubordinate. They are wicked. They are sleeping around as a teenager. They want nothing to do with God. They are fighting you. Don't want to go to church. They don't want anything to do. I'm sorry. Get your house in order. Because if you cannot lead your, your kids to Christ and they live in a, 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 a subordinate to understand your leadership, how do you think you're going to be able to lead a church? You will not be able to. You'll be so distracted trying to keep your family together, you won't be able to minister to the people and be a, a, be a light and an example to the people in that church. It's okay. Now, once your children leave your house, they're old enough, they move on. You're not responsible for them anymore. They're adults, they've moved on. You're not under your care. But keep me in mind, and I won't go down a rabbit trail on this, but if that 40-year-old decides to come back under your roof, Dad, they're submitting to your authority, and they have to be obedient like a child to your authority in the house. So that 40-year-old who comes back and you're like, oh, mama says, oh, please, get him back out here so we can lead him to Christ. Oh, I would best you, you think about that before you say yes to them coming back under the roof if you're going to be a leader in the church. The next one is a steward of God. That means you live a simple life. You're good stewards with what the resources God has given you with your time, with your money, and with material items. You must demonstrate a simple life, a good stewardship of your resources that God has given you. You cannot live a big, wild spender promoting lavish lifestyle to say, the Lord has blessed me and you should see the gold rotches in my house and my Mercedes and... Oh, please. Please don't go down that path. Leaders should not be like that. They live a simple life that you can look at their lives and they are good stewards with their money and with their time. Especially time. What do they, what do they spend their time doing as a leader of the church? When you make a commitment to be a leader, you don't act like the world and you don't act like everyone else. Your priorities is to do things that others are not called to do in the church. Are you with me? Next is not self-willed. Basically, a selfish person disqualifies you to be in leadership, period. You're selfish your demonstration of selfish, it's all about you and how you want things and your timing. And I will, oh, I'll be a leader, but I can only be a leader on certain things. I'm not willing to do that. You're just very selfish of your time and what you're willing to do for God. I'm sorry. Continue to be serving, continue to do what God's called you to do, but you just won't be a leader in the church. It's just you don't meet the qualifications. You have to die as self, man. I'm telling you, you have to die as self over and over to be able to be a leader in the church. Not given to not given to wine. I'm sorry. Back up. Not quick-tempered. A man who is quick-tempered sits there and seethes and just, but just blasts really quick. Short-tempered, willing to really to get angry any time. You disqualify yourself from being a leader. You're, you're not going to be a leader. Do you know sheep bite? <laughs> sheep bite. Do you know that? So if you're a pastor... And sheep will bite you, even though you don't deserve it. You cannot get be an angry man to turn around because you will strike out angrily toward that person who just bit you for no reason. You have to have not have anger in your life that controls you. 
You certainly can't be one, a man who's negative and a bitter man. Cannot be in leadership. You won't qualify. Next is not given to wine. Are those who drink more than is proper. Here at this church, I recommend in the leadership, no drinking. Why? Very simply. If you drink, how can you take that call at the weirdest of times from someone in the congregation that says, my loved one just passed. I need your help. Oh, man. Can't get in the car. Sorry, officer. I came here to help. I'm sorry. You smell alcohol in my breath. You show up and you're praying over some family and you're reeking of alcohol. Hello? How can you be ready to serve? Things do not revolve around my time or your time. It revolves around God's timing and who he's going to use for the time crisis that needs to happen. So I take the position, first of all, if you drink, you can't be drinking. I mean, it's just, you're just a tremendous at risk of not being able to be used by God in the lives of others. That's why for deacons, not given to much wine. Here, Paul writes, says, not given to wine. The next is violent. The Greeks themselves widen the meaning by this word by including, and not only violence in action, but also violence in speech. They're not violent with their speech, and they're certainly not violent with their, their physical actions. That would disqualify you from being able to be in the ministry as a leader. Someone who browbeats people down, their fellow man and woman, into submission to get their way does not qualify to be a leader in the church. Abusing others by abuse of authority is unacceptable in this church. Next is not greedy for money. There is no qualifications laid down here for deacons, as we say, but you'll notice these elders, these leaders in this church that he was appointing would be doing everything. They'll be setting the tables up. They will be washing the toilets. They're going to be counting the money and the resources. They're going to be distributing out. They were to qualify, but the key thing is they are not to be greedy for money. Money, 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 money really reveals someone who doesn't have the right heart. That's why I believe God has so set up the tithe, because it will really break a man. What do you mean I'm giving to, to the church? I, I, I can't buy my next toy, and, and I, get, I, I got to... Money has a way of helping you die of self when you have to give. But you cannot be greedy for money. So many people say, I have a resume, and I expect to be paid a lot of money in the church. <laughs> Come spend some time with me. I'd love to share. Our reward is in heaven, is it not? Oh, what a church could offer me here is nothing compared to what God is going to bless me with if I am a faithful, godly man to his people. Next is hospitable. That means now we've gotten through the, the negatives, the do not, you, these people do not qualify, but here's what does qualify. The man has to be hospitable. That means you have to like people. <laughs> you have to like working with people, okay? So you as a leader say, I want to be a leader, but I don't want to talk to anybody. That is not, that is not a leader for the church. But just keep sticking around. Because if God's called you to be a leader, he's going to change your heart and you'll learn and he'll give you the gift of hospitality to do that work. But hospitality is a leader among God's people. They must be willing to work. The next one is one who loves what is good. He has to be a good man. When you're just talking with him and getting to know him and people know of him, his reputation, there's like he's just a good man. He's got a good reputation. He's got a good, he's a good man. He, he, just, he just loves people. He'd, he'd give his shirt off his back. He's, go, he's willing to go out of his way to help and take care of the things that you're not able to take care of or need assistance with. 
He's also sober-minded. This describes a person who is able to think clearly and with clarity. It's important as a leader because you would listen and listen and you want to make sure you have clarity and understanding before you respond so you don't unexpectedly respond in a way that's not proper to what the question is being asked. So you must, a man has to have clarity and, and, uh, and speak clearly. Of, uh, of, so that means you have to have a clear mind. You cannot have things rattling and have a mind squirrely all the time because you're worried about money or looking to get money or positions and control and it's all about you and self and all the, it won't allow you to think clearly, especially if you drink. See, in the mind of the Apostle Paul, this was very important qualities of a leader of a church. And the last ones we will see here, they have to be just, holy, self-controlled. What does that mean? A pastor, a leader in the church must be just, means right toward men. He has to have integrity. When working with men, he has to have integrity. His yes will be his yes, his no will be his no. And it's got to be consistent, faithful. The second we see is holy. That's, that's right, uh, right towards God. He, that man has to be different than the world. He has to be different than those who want to live in the worldly life. He's got to, he's a new creation. It should be evident in his life as he just moves along in life. He should be something, someone different. Not weird. Don't give me, <laughs> pastors shouldn't be weird. And a pastor shouldn't act weird just to get attention. Trust me, pastors are weird enough. If you ever been to a pastor's conference, you quickly find that out. And self-control, right towards himself. He must be disciplined. He must be disciplined with his time and his desires. So those last three, I think, is so important. Right toward man, right toward God, and right towards himself. These are important qualities of a godly leader in the church. And finally, verse 9 Leaders, we see here, Paul says, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught. That he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. Very important. Wake up at this point. I know it's hot in here. We're going to hopefully solve this problem in the heat in the future. But pay attention in this last point, please. Before I lay hands and ordain any man to be a leader in this church, and as Paul says here to Titus, before you do it, those men must hold fast to the faithful word of God that was taught them by their pastor. Now, I, I, just a quick things here, because I know I'm over time. They must hold fast. They can't be wishy-washy about the doctrines of God. The word of God. I don't watch that. Let me give you my opinion. Let me go research um, Confucius and all these other gurus and Oprah. and All these people have all these opinions. They watch them all day long on TV. Talking heads all the time, right? That's not who you should be sharing with people who need your help as a leader. Yo, let me go get my favorite book. I don't care if even if it's a godly man, it's a Worsby or it's a Spurgeon's or whoever you watch or listen to. Go to the word of God, man. Why? Because you as a leader have two things you're going to use that word of God for. Not only for yourself to grow and mature in, but notice in the end of verse 9, you must use sound doctrine to encourage or exhort the people or convict or discourage people from doing something that goes against the word of God. So when you're sitting there and you're leading people and you're watching people and you're protecting people and you're watching the flock and make sure there's no wolves coming in here and false teachers coming in here and the leaders are watching to keep them safe and everything is in order and good. You're constantly as a leader watching and all of a sudden you see this brand new person who comes in who could barely make it through. They thought the roof was going to fall on their head. 
because they're such an unbeliever. You need the power of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God to sit down and lovingly open the Word and say, God loves you. And this is what he's done for you to demonstrate his love for you. And you're at the right place. And the roof didn't come down because it didn't come down on me when I first walked into a church. And if it didn't fall down on me, I assure you, it didn't fall down on you. And you convict them to say, no, you can't live in sin anymore with that woman. You're not married. No, you can't be doing those things. You can't be talking like those. Why? Because Not because you're looking for the fault, because he's sharing to you what he seems to not be doing right, and you're just sharing the word of God, and the word of God is what's correcting him. And then as he gives his life to Christ, then you then turn around and use the word of God to what? Encourage them in the faith. Because the enemy is going to throw the fiery darts at them. The flesh is going to rear its ugly head at times. The world is going to try to market them to the nth degree to convince them that you're crazy to live for God. You must live for the world. You, as leaders, we are there to encourage them. God cannot lie. Follow the word of God. You can bet your eternity on that. That's what I'm looking for in leaders. That's what you should be expecting in your leaders in the church.